Hello and welcome to the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast. I'm Laura Feetham and today I'm joined by Dr. Eric Jalosek, who is Associate Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Today we're going to be talking about the important yet often overlooked problem of faecal incontinence in women. Eric is one of the authors of a study recently published in the journal which looks at different ways to treat the condition. Eric, thanks for joining me. Faecal incontinence is a problem which is rarely talked about and yet it's quite common. Could you please give an overview of the scale of the problem, including the epidemiology and also the effects on individuals who have the condition? Uh, Thank you, Laura. Um, Well, faecal incontinence, which is also known as uh, accidental bowel leakage, is the involuntary of leakage of stool, uh, including liquid or solid feces or mucus, and it's rarely talked about, even when one compares it to discussion of other healthcare problems. It's definitely not uh, usually dinner table conversation, but it's a chronic debilitating condition that has substantial effect on quality of life and is common in community dwelling adults, affecting anywhere from 2 to 21 out of every 100 adults. And by stool type, estimates, at least in the United States, suggest that fecal incontinence affects about 8 out of every 100 people, and about 6 out of every 100 report the leakage of liquid stool, 2 out of 100 report the leakage of solid stool, and 3 reporting mucus. And the prevalence of fecal incontinence in women, which is around 9%, and men is around 8%, and increases with age occurring in about 3 out of every 100 20 to 29-year-old men and women, up to about 15 out of every 100 adults who are age 70 and over. Fecal incontinence is multifactorial in nature and can result from an impaired anal sphincter muscle strength, uh, decreased rectal sensation, loss of urgency control, and altered stool consistency. It's associated with negative effects on quality of life, including social function, psychological well-being, body image, physical activity, and life satisfaction. Women with fecal incontinence report adopting a range of behaviors to avoid embarrassment or mitigate their symptoms. In fact, many are able to engage in their usual activities by resorting to behaviors such as wearing pads to absorb leakage, shopping only in stores with public restrooms, avoiding foods and beverages before going out in public, wearing only dark clothing or carrying a change of clothes. And some may avoid social or physical activities to limit the discomfort from leakage of stool. The economic burden is also high, and adults with fecal incontinence can have substantially higher annual healthcare costs than do those without. So you and your colleagues conducted a randomized controlled trial to compare different treatments for fecal incontinence. Please could you explain how you designed the trial, who you recruited, and what your findings were? The objectives of this trial were to compare common fecal incontinence treatments loperamide, and anal muscle exercises with biofeedback, with oral placebo, and education. The trial was a factorial design, which also allowed us to compare combination therapy with each individual therapy. Women with at least monthly fecal incontinence and who desired treatment for this fecal incontinence were randomly assigned to one of four groups, oral placebo plus education only, placebo and anal rectal manometry assisted biofeedback, loperamide plus education only, and loperamide and biofeedback. 
Participants received two milligrams per day of loperamide or oral placebo with the option to dose escalate for lack of efficacy or dose reduce for bothersome side effects. Women assigned to the biofeedback received six visits, including strength and sensory biofeedback training, and all participants received a standardized fecal incontinence patient education pamphlet and were followed for 24 weeks after starting treatment in the trial. The primary endpoint was a change in the St. Mark's or VASI fecal incontinence severity score between baseline and 24 weeks. One interesting note about the biofeedback intervention was that all of our study interventionists underwent central standardized training, and participants assigned to the biofeedback group received an individualized program that included diagnostic anorectal manometry evaluation, biofeedback strength training, and sensory or urge resistance training. Biofeedback participants were prescribed a home exercise program based on their individual performance with the interventionist during the visits. Between April 1, 2014 and September 30, 2015, 377 women were enrolled, of whom 300 were randomly assigned to the groups. At 24 weeks, all groups had mild improvement, but there were no differences between our intervention groups and the mild improvement in all groups did not meet the trial's definition of a minimum important difference. There were some notable changes in secondary outcomes during the trial. For example, participants assigned to combination therapy reported fewer pad changes per week due to stool leakage compared with those assigned to placebo plus biofeedback. And more participants' overall treatment satisfaction scores were classified as a little better, much better, or very much better in the biofeedback group compared with education only. When we analyzed physiologic measures using anal manometry, participants assigned to the combination therapy had higher maximum anal canal squeeze pressures than those assigned to the loperamide plus education group, but maximum anal canal resting pressure, volume of air at first sensation, or volume of air at strong urge at 24 weeks were not different between groups. Finally, not surprising, constipation was the most common uh, adverse event and was reported by only two out of 86 participants who received both loperamide and biofeedback and only two participants of the 88 in the loperamide plus education group. So while constipation was the most common adverse event, the rates were in general low. The uh, percentage of participants with any serious adverse events was not different between the treatment groups, and only one serious adverse event was considered related to treatment, which included a small bowel obstruction in a patient, uh, a participant in the placebo and biofeedback group. So it sounds like much more needs to be done to find effective treatments for this debilitating and burdensome problem. What direction do you think future research in this area should take? We agree that more needs to be done to find effective treatments for fecal incontinence, especially since first-line treatment strategies seem to be minimally effective. And one major learning point from this study was that we found a larger-than-expected response in the placebo plus education group that might not be explained by the effects of education or placebo alone. Future trials should account for this when planning their studies. Future research should also explore additional conservative treatments for fecal incontinence in patients with diverse stool consistency, since this is a significant contributor to this condition.
the prevalent nature of fecal incontinence should be appealing to pharmaceutical development. It would be nice to have development of medications for this condition that could build upon what we know about dietary and other conservative treatments. Additional therapeutic options such as posterior tibial nerve stimulation that have been used for urinary incontinence are also now being considered in ongoing trials. And finally, future studies should investigate which patients have a higher probability